HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a nonprofit with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Change menus, change lives. Learn more at chefscollaborative.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes.
Welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half of your host, Darren Bresnitz, sitting with the awesome Laura Werner in the gorgeous pasture in Auckland. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. So for those, because I think you really need to lay the mission statement out of what pasture is before we get into the whole interview. For those unfamiliar with pasture, how would you sum it up in a couple sentences? It's tough. Um... We wanted to create a restaurant which captured all our favorite parts of dining. So something really small, independent, with a lot of authenticity and integrity behind what we produce. Beautiful. Let's dial it back a little bit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, how did you and your husband, Ed, who's the head chef here, mm. how did you two meet? Uh, I used to work as a professional photographer okay and I had yeah I had a focus on lots of food and lifestyle assignments and I was lucky enough to be photographing an event in a restaurant that he used to work at in Auckland called Sadat and um legendary yeah 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 Yeah. and um photographed this dinner there and and I was really drawn to this chef who was really (laughs) kind of like he was so focused when he was plating and um, it was interesting, like, just, yeah, there was just a really great synergy there. So that was four and a half years ago. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, just over that summer, our relationship grew. And um, Wait, Did you go up to him and be like, I might need your number or your email to send you some of these, like, test photos? No, it, it took a few months for us to be able to, like you know have a conversation <laughs> but did you know from the from the first time you saw him I was I was really drawn to him but yeah there were there were other circumstances um involved so it just took us a bit of time to connect yeah it's, so he was always a chef but you've you've had a, a pretty awesome and varied background mm-hmm. photographer and then you did community development and things like that yeah I was doing community development first um I studied um, I studied literature, and that was like my main my main focus in university. But it led me to study a lot of historical papers, and mm. that took me into social work of all things. Um, so I grew up in South Africa, and I studied in Cape Town. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, it was social work that really I decided that that was my vocation. But I had this creative bent, and um, what I really loved about community development is that you engage with people on a really deep way and you're engaging with, you know, this concept that we're not lone individuals Mm -hmm. and it's about strengthening networks, strengthening support systems around individuals and communities and often the arts or um, physical activity can be a great platform to do that because it's non-threatening, encourages people to get involved in what's like yeah, really tangible connection. So, um, social work through the arts was yeah the focus of most of my twenties, and then that led into social work through gardening, community gardening. Through gardening. Yeah. How did that? I mean, how did you get there? I mean, there was there was a community in uh, Wellington, mm-hmm. which is uh, where I was living at the time, and it was a community garden set up for migrant women. Mm-hmm. Um, the philosophy behind it is that. Um, yeah, 
often migrant communities are coming to a new country and they have a lot of food or ways of growing things, sure. even their own seeds. And um, to set up a space that was just for women, because there were several, yeah, migrant communities there where women, you know, weren't working. So yeah. there are opportunities to meet other women, to, you know have opportunities to connect to New Zealand society were actually really quite limited and um, that was an issue but then creating this beautiful space where women could come together and garden and connect and then it's beautiful. we'd have shared dinners all the time and like people would make these amazing dishes. What were you growing or what were they growing? Um, a lot of I think a lot of leafy greens mm. <laughs> that I'd never heard of. I mean, Wellington's, Wellington's an interesting place. It's um, very windy <laughs> um, which is good for bugs and gardens because often they can't land on things you know there's a lot of wind just kind yeah, of blowing yeah. away things but um yeah it was we had a, we had one site initially and then that grew to two actually the council gave us an old bowling green which we had to really yeah which was remediated the soil health was remediated through mushrooms Ooh, very interesting stuff that sounds both uh good for mother uh nature and also for cooking in the kitchen yeah i wouldn't have eaten those guys because they like pull the toxins oh they're pulling all the toxins never mind never mind never mind (laughs) good for the compost pile um so it sounds like a lot of your work with at least community building and then also gardening at what point did it start to trickle into your brain especially since you had a relationship with a chef as well um that you're going like maybe a restaurant yeah i mean for me for me, this it's an it's an interesting journey that like led me here. I mean, Ed's the kind of person who, being a chef, is who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I have so much respect for people like this because I'm quite different. I'm I'm stimulated by a lot of different things. Sure. I feel like I could do many different things, and I'd probably be just as happy doing many of them as long sure. as it had the values that make me tick. Um, he is through and through a chef. Like, oh. lives food, breathes food. Seeing him at the line last night, yeah. I was like, this guy is a chef. Yeah. <laughs> it's not It's not a passing fancy. No. It's very real for him. And, um, yeah, me doing my own thing and him doing his thing meant that we never really saw each other. So we sold everything that we had. Was he um, in Wellington as well? No, he, this was in Auckland, yeah. Okay. I moved up to Auckland, and um, that's where we met. And okay, so you were not so you were in Wellington doing community stuff. Then you moved to Auckland, and that's where you two met. Yeah, we met up here, and um, then yeah, we decided to go traveling together. And and for us, it was really make or break. Like we knew that we were either gonna go traveling and really like find what we were as a couple, sure, or we go traveling and we realized that it probably we weren't ever gonna be able to find the thing that could make us a unit well seeing how you're married and you have a restaurant together I it I don't works. want to jump the gun <laughs> but I think you work um, and what was traveling like uh, was it did you go in thinking I mean maybe not a restaurant but was it you know was it food a food driven travel or was it just sort of like let's go see the world and whatever it brings to us and maybe we'll open an art gallery or something like that oh no I mean it was uh, yeah I should rephrase this it was traveling but it was highly intentional so we, um, Ed just basically contacted many restaurants that he was like, I would love the opportunity to do some time here. And he staged his way 
through these different restaurants. That's so awesome. So, to be honest, like I say traveling, but we had maybe two days of it of a week where we could do something. And but, were you doing photography at the time and things like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I took all my gear and um, had great intentions. But the, the first place that we went was actually, you know, it's funny how you go away and you think you have this, maybe this will happen, maybe this won't. But the first place that we went actually, I think, cemented our future. What place was it and where was um, it? It was a place, a restaurant called Keto. And they have a restaurant... Um, on an island called Bornholm, mm-hmm. and it's between Sweden and Denmark. Oh yeah, and um, gorgeous amazing, part of the world. Amazing gorgeous. place. Yeah, yeah, and um, they they have this restaurant on this island, and their cuisine is very much about that island. You know, so the the guys that started it, they were raised there, really passionate about it, and um, yeah, incredible what they've done. So. The staff shuts down the Copenhagen City restaurant, and they all go there for the summer, and it's like a massive season. Wow. And they live in this little farmhouse, and seven days a week operation, and they all ross it on, and it's like on a beach. Amazing. They've got gardens, and so Ed was in the kitchen, and I was gardening. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny how life prepares you for what you didn't know was yeah. coming. Yeah. Um, how, was your, how was your green thumb up in uh, the, the Netherlands? It was great. It was great. And I think, um, you know, that's one of the amazing things about this industry and, you know, being able to start, which I think is a real rite of passage for professional Huge. chefs. And it's amazing what just those people that pass through your kitchen can actually give you. Like, for us, we came with this whole world of experience like I say I mean I'm South Africa and we're from New Zealand so I knew heaps about plants that they didn't know they knew heaps that I didn't know and it's just that that spirit of inquiry like one day there's this amazing forest that um, well there's a few different forest reserves on the island and we just took our bikes into one one day and then just picked up this random pine cone that mm. had fallen and we were just like kind of exploring it and tasting it and we were like maybe this could be a thing and then we took some back to them and then they started tasting and now it's like on a dish but they didn't know about it before that's so awesome I mean that's one of the beautiful things about <clears throat> community and then a community built around a restaurant such as mm. pasture and also the one that you're staging at it's 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 also time mm. it's also time to experiment and trust to sort of figure out like, okay, we're doing it this way, but other people have other ideas, and because we trust the people and the community we've built, it's it's not m- my way or the highway. It's yeah. like you know, it's like we're open to trying stuff, yeah. and also putting yourself out there, you know, because you can have the confidence as well to be like, try these pine cones. Yeah. Um, so you're staging around, and at what point um, did you and Ed feel that you were you two were ready? Or want and want to come back and start like exploring your own restaurant. And did you know that Auckland was the place that you were going to do it? No, no, we didn't. Um, you know, because Ed's originally from the UK and um, his family is still there. I'm originally from South Africa. Mm-hmm. I have some family in New Zealand, but you know, my mother, brother, um, my extended family—they're all still on the vineyard that my family has. In oh, Cape you have Town. a vineyard? Yeah. So, um, Do I shout it out? No, <laughs> it's called Hodespoir, um, and it's in Franschhoek, which is a tiny little valley. Um, most mm. people know Stellenbosch as a wine okay, region, yeah. but it's next to that, and um, it's, 
beautiful, yes. Transition to biodynamics, really tiny, really gorgeous. Is, My family lives on the farm and produces the wine. So. I'm seeing a pattern of living and loving where you work. Yeah. <laughs> but is that, and we can get, we'll get into a little bit, but is that sort of where you started getting interested in natural wines and knowing that that's what you wanted to serve here? Yeah, I mean, my family, I'm, I'm so privileged that I've grown up and my family's always just been like, amazing wine, amazing food. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the most important lessons that my parents kind of taught me about wine is that there's no need to be like a jerk about it. It's not a, like a, excuse my language, like a wanky thing. No, it's not. It's just what you like and just get out there and just taste heaps of things. Um, it's definitely become more democratic. Mm as you have these, like, younger uh, winemakers and it's sort of become more, like, record-collecting and things like that. And it's definitely been like, no, try our wines. Like, please, please try and stock our wines. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so you're, tra- you're, you're traveling around the world. You have ties to England. You have ties to South Africa. You're in the Netherlands. What brought you back to Auckland? And what made you want to open up this restaurant? Well, yeah, I mean... It- after a time in Europe, Ed came to stay on the vineyard with me for three months. And we were seriously like going, man, South Africa, it's like, well, I mean, I, I love South Africa. I'm very passionate about it. Um, and we were like, produce, I mean, the produce there is amazing. Mm. Absolutely epic. It's like we could have literally opened a restaurant on my family's vineyard and my mom has the most incredible gardens just like what she manages to grow there is amazing but in the end we were just like you know <laughs> as much as you'd love to be right next to your parents all the time no yeah no that that wasn't it it was just you know there and this is not what I want to talk about but there are also reasons that I left South Africa sure and um I just didn't Ed and I would love to have a family one day and I just yeah I feel like New Zealand is a great com- country to Oh my kids God. In. It's everyone's smiling. Yeah. Um, and so you left, and then you came. We left, here. and we came here. And, and, and um, what year was this? How many years ago? Uh, we came back. Oh, it's a little bit of a blur now. <laughs> I think it was 2015. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Yeah. We're going to talk <laughs> about coming back to Auckland and then opening up pasture here on Snacky Tunes. Uh, song from our archives on heritageradionetwork.org.
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am with Laura Werner, one half the owners, founders of the Incredible Pasture in Auckland. Um, so, 2015, you're coming back to Auckland with the pure intention of opening a restaurant? Yeah, the, we really started talking about it in earnest when we were in South Africa. And yeah, we came back to New Zealand with a really clear idea of where we wanted to be and it's not, it wasn't in Auckland City. <laughs> um, so we we're both I think at heart country people mm-hmm. love nature and we were just like, oh man wouldn't it be amazing to open up something really small in a food growing region of New Zealand where you could really kind of celebrate the provenance of the area and um, so we set our hearts and minds to Clevedon mm-hmm. Which and where is that for those who are not familiar? It's about 45 minutes out of Auckland. Okay. And it is, um, it is an area which has got a mixed community of residents and a lot of farmland and mm-hmm. a lot of growers. They've got um, one of Auckland's best well-known like farmer's markets. Um, you know, there's there's buffalo out there, some like, amazing mozzarella growers, mm. different, like, yeah, really interesting stuff going on there. And bonus of it is that my father and my stepmom at the time, not at the time, <laughs> she's still my stepmom, <laughs> my father and my stepmom were living there at the time. Got it. And um, had a beautiful property, like, in the bush. Um, so when New Zealanders say bush, they just mean, like, you know, the, countryside. the native yeah, forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's a place that was very close to our hearts and is actually where we got married. Oh. Um, so it's got some... You, you yeah. used it for something else. Yeah. We, <laughs> well, yeah, it was... Um, we just we just really loved that area. So we came back and my stepmom is an artist and she's got this... She had this little kind of um, cabin in the, in the forest there. And that's where we stayed. And we were just like, right, we've got to find a site. <laughs> yeah. So just searching and searching and searching and yeah after a lot of time and money um, and disappointment what we realized is that 
there wasn't the infrastructure out there. Mm. Like, it's still a community that's on tank water in a lot of ways. And so, <laughs> that is a tough way to run a restaurant. It's really tough. And um, also, you know, after doing business planning and sort of like thinking about it a lot, it was going to be really hard to get the covers. I mean, we yeah. opened a restaurant of 20 seats, and that's feasible in New Zealand's city with the biggest population sure when you just when you know that the population is there you always look at those places like favicon and like the destination yeah. places and go what were those lean years like when you were building it up not now when it's just like six months out eight months out yeah um and even being in auckland doesn't guarantee covers mm. every night it doesn't and i mean if we we're gonna do like something which I want to add is a total shame <laughs> it's it's getting there but yeah, yeah like you know we've only been open for six months so we're I mean we're thrilled that we've had even like ten people come to our restaurant so in opening for six months or in the planning um, you know one of the most impressive things from the food to the wine to the bread to the insane olive oil um, which you should 100% bottle and <laughs> ship to us in LA um, is you really, from the get-go, understand that you have a direct relationship with everything, all the products, all the produce, all the meat that's coming to the restaurant. Mm. How did you build those relationships? Uh, it was um, just hard graft on his behalf. I mean, he spends, yeah, his waking life thinking about this place and the dishes and... He just searches, searches and searches and searches and phones and phones and phones and probably out of 20 phone calls, he might get one connection. Really? Yeah. Is it, is it because they are, you're working with such small producers that all their stuff is already accounted for? I mean, it's, um, I think about this a lot because it, you know, I've got that kind of yeah. community system sure. brain and things like sustainability really matter to me and I try to put myself in the shoes of small producers in a tiny country like New Zealand yeah. a lot and they've got they've got a lot of challenges you know yeah. um, and the literally and you know in a wider sense the landscape of our relationship to food has changed so drastically and um, places like tiny countries I think really manifest that a lot so yeah, I mean, we often contact people. We're like, "Hey, we like found you through this way or that way," and they're just like, "Yeah, well, that's great." Like, but how do I send it to you? Right. You know, like, like that. Oh my god! Not Thank the you. infrastructure. Yeah. And there's those really simple things that you know when you're just like, "But you've got this thing that we want, and we've got this outlet, and we're going to pay you for it." But it just won't happen because the infrastructure isn't there. Right, because the cost to get it on a truck or a plane to get it here is just prohibitive. Yeah, and I mean, it's, and it's, I think we are probably one of the only restaurants in, I mean, I don't want to say in New Zealand, but it's like we pay like $150 a month to recycle like the polystyrene that our produce has to come to us in. That's and I, I wish it didn't come in polystyrene like at all. At all. But at least but if it's got a thing to take care of it. But that's for example one of the things that we just have to do because if we're not going through a major supplier and I mean even even some of like the artisan growers, the tiny guys, they're linked to bigger produce companies sure. because 
there's just that's that network is just there and I I understand that and I support it like I I want them to be able to focus on growing their amazing produce and having security and if it means that oh I've got to like sign up to this kind of bigger company that where a lot of their produce is just like we wouldn't ever touch yeah. it but they've they're the access route to these little guys when that's just what we have to do. Do you see pasture, given your background, as a larger scale uh, network and your chance to build a new type of community in the food infrastructure system in New Zealand? I'd love it to be. You know, that's, that's one of our intentions. And I know that we're not the only people in New Zealand who, um, you know, are really quite vocal about you know wanting to have access to this amazing mm-hmm. produce and we realize that we're one of the links in this chain yeah like we can either affect change or we can just be you know okay with the status quo and just buying into the system which we don't want to do you know no. there's there's I, I mean we don't for example like it's it's taken us convincing and really a lot of talking to even like get this lamb supply that we have on now I mean the lamb well thank you (laughs) for talking to him Uh, because that lamb let's talk about the food so you opened up what's crazy in in reading about you in advance and coming here is how clear of a point of view that you have as a restaurant which is you know some there's all the planning in the world and talking about what you want to do, but then when you know when it actually comes time to logistics, you go like, okay, this is what we want. This is where we have to go in a couple of years to get there. But it feels that in <clears throat> six months, it feels fully realized. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you? I mean, I have a good idea of how you got to your philosophy, but how have you been able to stick with your philosophy day in day out from the get go, or is it just there's just no? there's just no bending or when you do bend you go like this is just to keep the doors open and we know that we're working to like this very clean like pure goal Mm. interesting question um again i i credit in i mean you know what what manifests on the plate is really you know that that's him um, I but know that just, a lot of it's not just the plate though cuz it's yeah. the drinks and the service and the space itself yeah. i mean no, we we don't we don't want to bend, and I think in the beginning it was a lot easier for us because I mean it's that um, I'm making that bell curve shape yes. with my hand. It's that um, oh, what's what's the term like early adoption? You know, we had the early adopters where they'd followed us on Instagram, sure. they kind of heard about us through the movement, and so you know we had some great support when we opened it was amazing like the media really got behind us and we had a real opportunity to try to say to people we're different yeah like this is what we're going to be so if you come expecting this this and this we're going to disappoint you and you'll be frustrated and we'll be frustrated and look we only have 20 seats so like just come and grab some bread on the weekend we'll say you've been here yeah. you can post a photo Oh, if only, yeah. Fresh bread and pasture, <laughs> and then that way you're not that upset. But that's, I, yeah. I, I feel like that that's not exactly what happened. No, I mean, it's like we've created something when people either like really love it and really get into it and I think can identify with it, or we get people who just hate it. 
like every week at the moment we're having just like a table or a couple of tables that is just like what is this but I don't this is that I don't understand that because more than sometimes you have to search for the mission of the restaurant Mm -hmm. and you guys are so clear about it between the website and your newsletter and like what you post about on Instagram how do people wind up here not really knowing what they're getting into? Because they've just heard the name sure. and they haven't and they haven't gone any deeper than that. Or it's like we're like the buzz at the moment, which I'm so grateful for. But at the same time, <laughs> it's really tough when you get these people like, "Oh, I've heard so much about you," and then they're just like they just have one bite of addition. They just push it aside and even get up and leave before the final dishes come out. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I feel like this is just going to be something where we just dig in and just kind of go, I'm like, and I'm genuinely sorry that people don't enjoy it because this is such, it's an outpouring of us that of course you're like, oh man, they're like, they're not having a good time. And I feel responsible for that because I want (laughs) to host people and feed people well. Of course. And, um, but if you, yeah, it's, um. You know, for a small place, especially for a tasting menu, where I feel, at least in the States, you know, tasting menus have really been left to the people who have dug in, as you said. Like, there was a there was a craze where it was like, everyone's doing a tasting menu, something like this, and now it's like, this is what we stand for, this is what we're in, and we are going to give you an awesome experience, but we expect the same out of you to come in with an open mind. Yeah. And I, you know... And you guys doing a six-course menu. I mean, the first dish last night after the incredible bread and olive oil. But it's, you know, tomatoes, blueberries, pepper. You know, it's like not... And I've, I've never had blueberries and tomatoes before. We just haven't. Especially not with pepper. And, I, and we leaned into it. We're like, this is amazing. But hearing what you're saying, I can see people going like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, you know, to be honest, you know... Like, we know those tables before we've even taken them the first snack. Because it's like, that's why we go up to the table and we bring you, like, a towel warmed with essential oils and we present our menu in a certain way. And I know that you can just tell some tables just close off and they're like, why is she talking to me? I'm like, because you've come into my home in many ways and I'm trying to, A, welcome you, but B... This is a really important moment here between you as a diner and, and us as a, as a restaurant, as a space, as a staff, where we're going to just let you know a little bit more about us in <laughs> yeah. case you didn't. You know, and We've even printed a manifesto on the front of our menu, which is just like we cook over fire. We like yeah. flavors of fermentation because it's not for everyone. People complain that our... That our desserts aren't sweet enough people complain about this and that and it's just kind of like well you know I'm sorry but we don't want to give you venison and licorice we don't want to give you mushroom and chicken like and you're not <laughs> and just to be clear you're not saying that that's bad but you can go to another restaurant yeah to get that you but can. if you want something that is a very clear point of view and very defined something different yeah Let's talk about the food because it is, I'm, sometimes you sit back from a meal and you go like, I just had something special. And I feel like that was last night. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And I think what really sealed it for me, I mean, the whole thing was awesome. I don't, I don't want to, we, we could spend a whole hour going course by course, but, um, the lamb and the fact that Ed said last night that you bring in a whole lamb, which is crazy because this place is not that big. I, I was surprised. I was like, oh, maybe he brings in half a lamb. But the fact that you're bringing a whole lamb mm-hmm. is awesome. But there's something that you said um, when we were talking before this about uh, you don't garnish for pretty looks. Like, you only add for anything. And the lamb that came out was three pieces of lamb on the plate and then a, a lamb rib tucked in a paper bag, which was... I loved it. And then you poured fermented lamb... Uh, stock over it mm. and there was no microgreens there was nothing and you know sometimes when I go to when you go to these tasting menus you go like oh my god there is so much so much on this plate that is completely unnecessary mm. but I feel like that lamb dish especially what you're saying about the lamb purvey everything was like I was like this is this is the thesis yeah and it's one meat dish yeah um and you're not like there was no toss away chicken dish it was like here we go we're hanging our hat on the one big meat dish and it delivered so, how do you, how does Ed and you and the kitchen develop these menus? And then, how did you guys get the confidence just to be like, this is it? Yeah, well, I, you know, thank you for saying that. Um, we, so we've been open for six months and we've only served. Which, again, I have to say, yeah. is so crazy. <laughs> we've, we've, in that time, we served pork. And we've said lamb. So this is this year since we've opened, we reopened on the 18th of January, um, is the year that we've said lamb. And the reason we've done only pork and lamb is because we've got some really strict criteria about the suppliers that we want to work mm-hmm. with. And um, with the meat, it's it has to be direct to the farmer. I mean. I, I mean, yeah. There's no it's, bending on that. No. <laughs> There's no signing up for the larger agro guys. No, no. it's like. And I get that. Yeah. And, and I, I like the the same with the people that, that uh, we got the pork through. It's like they actually bring it to pasture. Mm. There's none of, you know, it's amazing. So, Do you want to shout them out? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we've worked with um, we've worked with Longbush Pork. And then we worked with Farmgate. And um, the lamb guy, actually, I don't know their name. I process their invoices, but I think Ed would like... He's he has nurtured that relationship to this point, so I'm like I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you search lamb guys in New Zealand, they pop up, right? No, nah, they don't. Really? Oh, and it's that, like and that's an example of it took him three and a half months to find them. And um, yeah, and now sometimes <laughs> it's even like when we have customers in here, like we had a delivery of fourteen lamb last week, fourteen here. Here. Fourteen whole lamb. Fourteen whole lamb because it ages them. So how we, long does he age them for? Um, ideally, he'd be aging them for three weeks to a month. That yeah, that so. funky rot. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the secret <laughs> of all good food. Yeah. You can true. call it age. You can call it whatever you want, but it is yeah. that decomposition that gives it that flavor. Yeah, that's true. So he ages the lamb or all the meat, and then he cooks it over. And cuts it over fire. And so it's the same, the pork and the lamb, they require very different cooking techniques. Sure. Like the, the pork, we'd have to light the fire at 11 in the morning. And every 20 minutes, you'd be turning, turning, turning. So, so, so you, intensive. You can get someone who wants a stage just to turn the meat. Yeah. <laughs> you have one job every 20 minutes. 
I don't think Ed would actually ever give it up. It's like he loves cooking. Oh my god! So when much, he yeah. when he was handling the the leg of lamb and playing carving, I was like, no one's getting between the no. chef and the meat. No. <laughs> and um, yeah, he so. Where was I going with this? You were asking me about the meat. So, yeah, with the pork, I mean, we were serving, like, same, many of the same things. It's, like, it's cooked over the fire. It's on the fire when the guests come here. It's pulled off the fire and it's carved for that table. You know, very, very specific. But the pork, we were actually using garnishes. Not many. The same principle which guides our entire menu is it has a really, it has a purpose of being there or it doesn't. Um, and the pork we were serving was some wild wood, wood sorrel, which I would forage, um, some fermented berries and pickled um, mm. spruce. And that was it. And again, a, a sauce that was our own elderflower wine and um, roasted pork fat. And, and, you know, beautiful, but it was a piece of meat covered in this, like, yeah, I mean, anyway, it was a stunning dish. People really loved it. But for this one, I think because, because we've gone even further further into like the whole animal dug in even deeper yeah dug in even deeper it's like with the with the pork we were getting in whole whole joints and i mean the guanciale that you had last night it was like mm. we were saving and curing so it's like we we really believe in this philosophy of minimal waste and using every part but yeah with the lamb i mean ed was just thinking about it and he was just like I really want to honor this animal. Yeah. And I don't want to confuse this dish. It's like, it is all about the lamb. It is. It's the most lamb dish I've ever had. And it is so, I mean, it's a confident dish mm-hmm. because there's no, there's no hiding. No. Um, I, 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 and I, I know we're, we're running a little short on time, but I'd be yeah. remiss to not talk about the beverage program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that you do natural wines and it's fantastic and I think I read you're the only Auckland restaurant that does all natural we're the only restaurant in New Zealand yeah take that all of New Zealand north and south (laughs) out um so how do you source that wine being the only one because if you want to talk about community infrastructure you're the only one who's serving all natural wines that has to be a bit of a of a research game as well. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And um, really, yeah, a lot of again, a lot of just building up these relationships, going directly to a lot of vineyards. But we've got um, one main supplier who's just like it's just amazing, and he he gets us, we get him. Isn't it it's awesome? It's a great relationship, and um, yeah, I mean. It's a benefit. There's so many benefits to being this small. There's so many sure. risks to being this small, but the benefits are, you know, and we and we said this to a lot of a lot of wine people. It's like if you make something weird, even if it's just like twenty bottles, we want it. Yeah, you know, because we're that small that we can we can do something really powerful with it. And I, I mean, that's sparkling we're using last night, the unfiltered one. I was like, this is a weird wine. Yeah, I mean, it's aw- it was awesome, but I was like, oh, this falls in the someone's having fun, and then you gave it a home. Yeah. Um, and in addition to your wine program, you also do a lot of fermenting yeah. and making your own type of drinks. What do you make here um, that's not part of... Because you can have a whole tasting that is not is not alcoholic and have it be just as wild and awesome. Yeah, I mean, I and I 
we call that one the pasture match. We were initially calling it a juice match, but I felt like people weren't getting it. They were just yeah. like, ooh, I don't want to have apple juice and orange juice. It's like, no, it's not no, that. No, dude, it's not. <laughs> we're not cracking a bottle of moths. Yeah. It's, um, in a way, it's like a second tasting menu because it's, we make it all here and it's designed specifically for that dish. So... I love it when, like, tables, if they're a couple and they order one of the drinks match and then one of the pasture match, and they're always just like, whoa, this is just, this is so interesting. And the wines are so different to the juices, and it's just a real talking point. So, yeah, I mean, it includes shrubs, um, for example, is what's matched to the tomato dish. So the shrub, we we made a raspberry vinegar ourselves Mm. last year, and it's, it's that. And um, is one of the components of the drink, and then we make we ferment things like with kombucha and kefir grains, and then we do infusion and fresh juicing. So yeah, it's really complex. A lot of and and we try to think about, you know, um, sorry, my dog is squeaking. It's okay. Um, <laughs> Dogs are a hundred allowed, a hundred percent allowed to squeak on this show. Um, we think about it, you know, I try to think about it as a sommelier might think, well, what's my pairing? You know, what's the structure of the drink? What's the mouthfeel? You know, we try to recreate a tannin structure by using, um, you know, tea infusions and things like mm. that. So it's really creative and it's really fun. It's, I mean, this rest, I think the moment I realized that, I mean, there are so many moments last night in the meal where I realized that this is something special, but when we were drinking the sake, the only sake that's grown in New Zealand, and then the very nice waitress was explaining how they hang it, and that's how it drips down, and then you take what's left over from the hanging, and that is what made the broth uh, for, like, this cucumber dish. I was like, this is a community. Yeah. This is something special. Yeah. Um, So thank you. If people want to find you, and I would, my recommendation is to get in now before you have to wait six months. Uh, where can people find you? Where can people sign up for the newsletter? Uh, we have a website, which is pastureakl.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to be pretty active on Instagram. You have a good Instagram game. Yeah. It's strong. What, what, is it the same thing? Um, ooh, <laughs> at pasture underscore AKL, I think. It is, okay, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, and I think that's a great medium for us to be able to convey a lot of what's going on behind the scenes and then a finished dish. So I like Instagram. Well, I used to be a photographer, so it's Yeah, fun. I like Instagram too. I, it's, it's, I don't tweet anymore. I don't do Snapchat, but I love Instagram yeah. all day. Just look at food. I go, oh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much. Thank you to Ed. Thank you to the entire seven-person seven team, uh, which... When I found out that number last night, I was like, that is such an amazing number of people for the amount of work that you guys are doing. So, anyway, congratulations. I could talk for more and more and more. Uh, We have another song coming up from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Just how we wanted it So we could live Just as long as anybody ever did But 
was wrong to lie like that I was wrong to lie like that And when the air was so cold That it smelled sweet on your coat And the concrete got swollen and roared And it swallowed you whole I said don't try to argue with it It will take you home It's just another road under the one you used to know But I lied to you I didn't have a choice but to I lied, I lied to you And I can't hide forever and remain ashamed of it I can't cover my hands and tell you not to blame me That you are a speck in a pile of dust And everything you love will turn into crumbs So stop worrying, worrying, worry some love Stop worrying, worry some love And the bells and the whistles make deafening sounds And it's clear as a bell When the sound of your headache is louder than hell In the bend of a note you're alone In the bend of a note you're alone You're alone So don't waste it all worrisome This program is brought to you by Chefs Collaborative, a national nonprofit network with a mission to inspire, educate, and celebrate chefs and food professionals building a better food system. Chefs Collaborative members work to make sustainable practices second nature for every chef in the United States. Chefs Collaborative was founded in 1993 by visionary chefs including Rick Bayless and Alice Waters, who acknowledge the influential role of food professionals on our food choices, our collective personal health, the vitality of cultures, and the integrity of the global environment. Chefs Collaborative believes that the greater culinary community can be a catalyst for positive change by expanding the market for good food and helping to preserve local farming and fishing communities. Change menus, change lives. Learn more about Chefs Collaborative at chefscollaborative.org. Welcome back. We have Jordan and Byron of Lover live in studio. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks. Thank you. And it seems like we have some shared history. We do. Uh, best man at the wedding of your old roommate, and you worked with Darren for Popular Noise. Correct. So let's start with your backgrounds. Um, Byron will go first. Okay. Obviously because there's a Popular Noise and also Violent Bullshit as well. Incredible True. bit. Great pins, by the way. <laughs> I always thought that the pin, the pin bag, the pin game was super strong. Yeah, I mean, also the, uh, you know, the, t-shirt the, the t-shirts were, were very special. Yeah, <laughs> it's really uh, it's really excellent. So um, let's talk about Popular Noise. Um, sure. For people who don't know, maybe a, a quick overview and, you know, what you've put out, both the magazine and, and also the, the seven inches. Sure. Um, actually, this is a, sort of a good, a good place to start also because it's, you know, originally where Jordan and I kind of first met. Um, so, like, you know, the Journal of Popular Noise I started as kind of like my final project in uh, school when I was at Parsons, probably like 2006 or seven, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, 
And, you know, Jordan and I first met when uh, I was working at V Magazine and she was an intern there. And when she left the magazine, um, you know, she started, you know, we struck up a friendship and she started helping me out with what I was doing with the Journal of Popular Noise. Um, and, you know, that went on for a few years. Um, and, what, long... and what is Popular Noise? Oh, so, like, <clears throat> the idea behind it was that it was sort of a periodical, um, like, audio magazine. So... Um, there was sort of a, a format that I would reach out to different artists to kind of react to. So we maybe in total did each each issue kind of came with three seven inches. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a pretty wide variety. You know, there was some like weird noise stuff. There was some, you know, totally like pop. You know, there was like a Japanese pop band that did one. Andrew WK did a spoken word one, which was really crazy. Was um, there an overarching philosophy behind it or an approach that allowed you to fold in all of that music? Um, yeah, I mean, it was sort of, the whole thing was really about um, trying to explore this crossover between, um, you know, like magazines and periodicals, which I was really into, like as a graphic designer, but also, you know, having a background in music, I always felt like there was this, um, like a lot of similar mechanisms in play, you know, of, of just like the classic pop song structures that everybody gravitates towards being kind of similar to um, the uh, the standards of like a magazine design and um, structure. And is it archived? Or can it be found? Is this, is it on? Is it ongoing? Um, <clears throat> or a more recent iteration? Right. I did. Uh, you know, more recently, um, Popular Noise magazine, which was like a much more traditional um, format for uh, a magazine, but it was kind of all about um, you know like art, lifestyle, culture, like around the world of music. Hmm. Um, but the Journal of Popular Noise stuff was, it's probably not anywhere online or anything like that. Uh, you know, it's been mildly defunct for a while. Um, but the, the whole, it was all very much like this fetish, fetishist, <laughs> like letterpress printed, super limited edition. Everything's numbered. It's all vinyl. You know, it, it was right. kind of like obnoxious. Completist type yeah. vibes. <laughs> like, yeah, it must be this way. Right. So starting a new one, you know, all the work that goes into it. And it's exactly. like, it's a mountain. And then Jordan, um, obviously you didn't stay an intern. Um, <laughs> what, uh, I know that you're also a writer um, and you've uh, also been in a number of gallery shows. So what is your work outside of the, the music world and what is your approach to it as well? Um, I am an, I was really trying to be a fine artist until recently. Um, and I realized with this band actually that that's really not something that I want to do. Um, but I direct video, I write, um, I work in fashion um, and in advertising, doing commercial production. Um, and I wasn't the studio director for an artist for a number of years. Mm. So I've always been involved in creative projects in a number of ways. Um, and I am, my goal now, especially in the band is really wrapped up in this is to get deeper into directing video. So we have ideas for videos and we're, we've kind of decided that we want to be directing most of them ourselves. Yeah. I mean, it's great from the booklet and everything. It shows like a strong hand that you are directed all of it. I'm sure from both your backgrounds and just more creative control, or if you were to bring someone else in, you can push them to a level of like, we can already do this. Right. How can you beat us? Exactly. Which I always think is the best approach. And then how did, how did you go from former intern to bandmates? Well, we've been, I mean, that really was just the way that we became friends. Um, and I guess because I I was really eager to get involved in um, projects in the arts that were going on outside of school when I was, obviously I was interning when I was in school when I met Byron. Um, 
And so starting to help him with the journal, I think we became closer friends and we've just always kept in touch and worked on projects together. Um, yeah, I think I was, <clears throat> I was, you know, always, um, you know, have had, had a very like honest approach to, you know, the, the feedback that I give my friends, especially about their creative work, which, you yeah. know, <laughs> can, we definitely is, have that kind to put of, it nicely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is but it, um, is it like an honest feedback? Is it a raw feedback? Is it brutal? Is it's, it? It's a lot it's of tough love. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. I've gotten, I've, but, I've gotten better, but I think that that's part of why we got along was that like both Jordan, of us Jordan are like knew, that. Yeah, yeah, we're both like that, and we both know if we want like a real, you know, honest. Have you made friends cry with your feedback? Probably, yeah. Oh man, Jordan, I think you. But we just, but I think we we really became friends because you. Because I kind of gave it back to you right mm-hmm. away before we knew each other very well. There's things I wouldn't even repeat that <laughs> Jordan has said, and she knows what I'm talking about. They're like, this interview is over. <laughs> you said you would never even acknowledge that I said that. <laughs> so then how, uh, how did the, the Lover Project come about? It? I mean, in the sense that you guys were friends, but like begin to like, hey, we want to start making music together. We want to start. I mean, well, Jordan you were, had started I had started oh, the band me. before Byron came in with Crystal Nava, who was a drummer. Um, mm-hmm. She was a formerly the drummer in a band called L.A. Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had moved to New York kind of recently, bef- like just before I met her, um, and wanted to be in a band here. Um, I had been, I've been sort of secretly a musician my entire life. Mm. Um, and But I've never, this is my first proper band that's mine with my songs. Um, there's a handful of people that I've exposed myself as a singer and songwriter too that have asked me into their projects but Crystal um, was sort of willing to be patient with me as uh, somebody new to having a band um, and we started the band together with another bass player who couldn't really commit and then Byron bass players am I right tell me about it <laughs> yeah and then Byron came in and started playing bass um, and then last year Crystal couldn't play with us anymore so Byron moved to the, the drum kit Amazing. Can we hear a song? Yes. What are you going to play for us first? I'm going to play a song called Berlin. Great. That I, is about the club Berlin. Oh, <laughs> the club Berlin? Yeah. The, really? The dan- it, well, we named the song because I didn't know what to name the song. We were about to go to Berlin <laughs> to go do something. This this might be a first. And maybe a last. Probably. Well, I mean, I think Lana Del Rey is putting a song out called Tenants of the Trees, which is that like uber hipster bar in LA. So you're an interesting company. <laughs> um all right, well, It's just funny because it the the Club Berlin has like nothing to do with this. Yeah. Song. And it's spelled with a Y. Is it? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Berlin with a Y. Oh well yeah. I misspelled it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh here we go, Lover Live on Snacky Tunes. Sounding better on the 
future perfect times I say the things I never said But time and time and time again We cut the cord for another friend But I don't need another friend I could have said that interesting things about the two of you working together now I think is much clearer because you have such an honest relationship is the band philosophy and your approach to the music it seems so fully formed um, we'll get to the pledge in a, a second because I think that's really <laughs> incredible and I love it so much I read it so many times um, but let's talk with the larger philosophy and and the approach to it and kind of the minimalism and emotional expressionism that comes through the record the lyrics um, even the the graphic design to and to a point Sure. I mean, I guess like, you know, when we first started doing this, we, you know, really talked a lot about how, you know, because of our backgrounds individually, um, in all the other creative aspects that like, you know, we wanted to use this band as, uh, you know, a means to not just do, you know, do music, but like as kind of a vehicle to explore these other things, you know, of like the, the design, the, just sort of like the idea of how we represent ourselves making videos, you know? Right. But at the end of that doesn't mean that at the end of the day the most important thing isn't the songs. That's definitely the most important thing. Um, but it's the I think that we both see the songs um, as a, a jumping off point to to create a world um, that is an, a larger emotional expression, and that's really what the I would say the crux of the project is is valuing feeling and valuing emotional expression over instrumental virtuosity and uh we both kind of agreed that 
what can happen and what we have seen happen with bands that sort of think too too much um, about what they're doing as the music can get kind of right and that- boring and while well, it's like what we're doing you could say is boring but but I think it's much more interesting to to um, have the challenge of expressing yourself fully with very little. Right. I mean, and <clears throat> in, in my experience in playing music, you know, like when I was younger, I was, you know, much more into the, the music, musical virtuosity and, the, you know, trying really hard to be as complex as possible. And, you know, I think that the, the reaction I got from that was that nobody cared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, I think that the more, the more you one, focus... One dude was like, nice. Yeah, exactly. There was I, like it was like this crazy death metal band, and there was like what was it, it called? Uh, it was called Cepheid, which was like a, also a terrible name. Um, and I remember specifically there was one show. I must have been like twenty two or twenty three, and like after we played this guy, like this guy who seemed like a million years old to me, he was probably like thirty five, um, <laughs> with like a green goatee, like came up to me. He was like, "Dude, that was fucking awesome." You know, right. I swear, sorry, I that's fine. Okay, um, and I was like, "There's something wrong here." Right, this <laughs> like I'm not, not doing this. Is yeah, not, not, not you are doing. not you are not my end goal here. Exactly. But a lot of the greatest um, creativity comes from constraint, and I think yeah. when everything's an option, you kind of are just almost paralyzed. So putting these rules on you, especially when you're starting a new project where you both have such diverse backgrounds and can pull from anything, it's nice to have those roadblocks to be like, you know, we could do this, but, and then off the table, but for now, we work inside this framework in this world in which we built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm also literally, I'm not a guitar player. I mean, obviously. Like, yeah. That <laughs> <laughs> was a nice strumming. I mean, yeah, but like, you know, literally constrained by having no skills. I mean, I feel like the whole like <laughs> punk scene was just built on on not being any type of instrument player. Right. And right. like, you know, there's another thing that we talk about a lot which is like, you know, um when when you don't have all the tools, but you're inspired to do something and you're you're trying, you know, you're doing the best that you can to try to emulate something and by not being good at it, you accidentally make something even more interesting than if right. you were able to copy perfectly the thing that you liked. Right. There I mean, again, it's you also don't have all, any of the pre- preconceived notions of what you can and can't do by mm-hmm. being within a field. You're just you're like, I think you can do it like this. Right. Then you just do it. Uh, the the pledge that you put together, right. um, I mean, it's broken into two parts. Uh, we can start with the overall philosophy of it first, which is essentially like, dis- I mean, what I took was like disengage from the internet and <laughs> social media and the digital and engage with the people around you. Yeah. Where did this come from, and then what was the idea of including this with the the record and um, just generally sharing it with your fans? Well, it was actually Byron really was the the heart of that project, so I'll let him talk more about well, it. But we we created it as a takeaway for a special video screening that we did when our video was finished um, before it was released online. So it was that was the first kind of party that we did that wasn't a show that was an effort to kind of create a community around what we were doing in a different way um and we wanted to do something special for it and we both had some feelings about the socio-political landscape that byron can talk more about (laughs) well i mean i think that originally what it what really inspired that and some other stuff was you know 
after, um, you know, after the election, you know, Jordan and I were just talking like we, you know, just feeling very much like we needed to do something, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, we talked a lot about what that was going to be. And so we had this event planned and um, we kicked around a lot of ideas. And, you know, I think that we decided together to work to to write this thing or to have some sort of, you know, message around it. And the the video, you know, the concept behind that and, and the song, it was like, you know, there's. You know, we we did it obviously before the election, but it was like, you know, a lot of themes of like fascism and power and like, you know, uh, it kind of came together naturally. Yeah. Um, We realized that what we were doing with the video made a lot of sense and was sort of accidentally relevant. And which song is it for? Romantic Depot. Right. And so, um, you know, when thinking about like what it was that we wanted to say, I think that I wanted to make sure that it was, um, you know ultimately a positive message and I saw so much like of you know what I was feeling and what um what I think led to the place that we're in right now uh having a lot to do with you know how obsessed everybody is with their phones and their you know apps and their things and it's you know under the under this sort of understanding deleted all of his apps (laughs) I yeah I've I he's fully off the grid no location services (laughs) sorry ladies (laughs) Uh, I'm in the back of Roberta's right now. If, you want to, <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking for me, you have 20, um, mi- you have 20 minutes. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it, I just felt like um, so much of the, you know, how we ended up in the place that we are right now is because of you know this, you know, and, and being this divided country where people have their own personal bubbles that are curated by their feeds, and they only see the world that they want to see, um, and. And in sort of under the guise of being a community or online community or connecting with other people, it's actually making us more alienated from each other. You know, it's like... Because everyone is... Everyone has this kind of false idea that they're in touch without actually being in touch because they're only seeing a filtered version of what everyone else projects as their... themselves and their reality. Sure. And then there's also just like, you know, the the proliferation of, uh, you know, just falsehoods and like you just don't know any like who to trust or yeah. what is real you know haters will say it's photoshop right <laughs> or 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 fake news or whatever the thing and um and i think by you know getting out of that um it, it's really i don't know it's just like really important to just to go back to the video event thing why we decided to um you know have this was you know about um, you know, sharing this thing with our friends and our community in a real way, with in real time, with like actual people in right. a room, right? Something <laughs> you know? to take away. And exactly. people really read it, and it was people weren't on their phones at that. Mm-hmm. They were experiencing the thing and reading the pamphlet and well, talking you, about it. If you, if someone hands you at the beginning of an event and then you just go, eh, I don't know mm-hmm. what's going on on Instagram. I mean, it's uh, again. Could people get this online, or is there anywhere that? Just mm-hmm. how about this? Email the band. Right. Yeah. Write, no. Write them a handwritten letter, and you can mail it to them. <laughs> right. Self-addressed stamp. Well, but the other thing that we've talked about is because you know we also Byron is. What are you like? Ten years older than me? Because I'm. You're just over the millennial right, bracket, like, and then I'm. I'm definitely you're, millennial. You're in it, yeah. And so we've had conversations because one of the things we were talking about was promoting the record, promoting shows. How do we do that without? You know, to me, I'm like we can't you know, delete Facebook for, right. for the band. We have to use it. Um, so it's sort of this, but, you know, that's part of it is just creating that conversation, having that dialogue and being more aware. Right. Can we hear another song? 
Sure. What are you going to play? Um, I'm going to play Romantic Depot. Perfect. Which is, I guess, the single. Do we have a single? Something like that. <laughs> talk about the new record am i safe out on friday this past friday congratulations thank you really well done it was on spotify so i don't know how that fits into the philosophy but it's on spotify um you look pained well there's actually a lot there's a fine print in the pamphlet that says delete social media where possible where it's the out Right. Uh, I mean, it's a loophole. So you uh, use, put, use it responsibly. Use it responsibly. So you put out um, a single in 2015, and the record is out. How did it come to be? And how did you end up meeting the sweet, sweet, sweet Andrew Poso, who we love so, 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 so much? Byron already knew Andrew. Yeah. Well, do you want to talk about the record, and then I can like, sure. Talk. How did the record come about? Um, we. This is. I mean, the this first record is really an iteration of the kind of coming together of the band as a whole project. So these are kind of the best of all of the songs that we've written over the last three years since we've been a band, I would say. Um, and Byron and I um, started working on the record uh, with our drummer who, our original drummer who ended up not being able to continue playing with us when we, right around the time we were, we started recording um, so we kind of redeveloped the material with our friend Drew Citron, who's in a band called Beverly. And she was really supportive, helping us kind of do a first pass at the recording um, and reconfiguring the lineup. We kind of worked everything out that way. Um, I obviously write all the words and guitar parts. Byron writes everything else. Um, and we collaborate on how things should sound, but we have 
we kind of worked all of that out, I would say, in the studio with Drew to start. And then we went to Jonathan Krynick, um and kind of did a final recording of the record. And with the creative constraint, I mean, did you, as it evolved together, did you go back and re- redo some of the songs? Or like when they got into the studio, they were pretty much incorporative of the philosophy and ready to go? I mean, do you mean... What do you mean by... Like, um, did you run... Like, as your philosophy developed as a band, did the yeah. songwriting structure change? And, like, when you finally... Like, where you started, and then as you evolved the philosophy, did the songs change or the structure? They get more stripped down? I don't think change? so. No, I mean, <clears throat> the songwriting didn't necessarily change, but I think that, um, you know, what we were able to do in the studio was kind of, like, layer things a little bit more. Right. And, like, you know, add in and, and think about, like, you know, how to give the right emphasis in the right places, you know, to kind of make the songs as they were written a little bit more powerful. Um, and uh, and I think also in in the process of, like, you know, re <clears throat> readjusting our lineup, um, you know, me having to transition from bass to there drums, was, it was, you know, it, it made... It was a was, developmental period for totally. us becoming, like, the heart of the band as a more of a duo. And we did a lot of exploring in the studio of ways that we could manage to deal with all the different parts of the songs with just two people, I would say. And we developed... There were some happy accidents that happened, especially when we did the final recording with Jonathan... Um, and I, as a musician, definitely learned a lot through in the studio and became more confident and started experimenting more. Yeah. And I think, I think really, you know, the part of what makes, um, our, our musical, um, collaboration like work really well is that, I mean, you know, like I couldn't actually like write an entire song or lyrics or anything like to save my life. Um, and, you know, but what I can do and what my role has always been in all the bands that I've done is like the the second guitar player or the bass player or the, you know, the the kind of supporting role. So like, you know, both Jordan and I like do totally different things that work perfectly together of, you know, how we can, you know, what needs to get done. And we have a very like familial kind of relationship and know each other so well that we actually don't. It works well because we don't need to talk about what one or the other means we work we operate with the same language um and and just knowing about each other's lives it's like i can come to byron with a new song we don't have to talk about what it's about he can just tell or he knows or whatever i mean that's easily one of the hardest things to find it's just a good partner mm-hmm. and then all the other things kind of build off of that and how did you um come to put this record out on concierge and, and work with andrew so Andrew's been um, a friend for a long time, a uh, great guy. Like, I think I originally met him through, um, you know, Jay Green and, you know, all of those guys. Um, and um, he, he was always a big fan of Violent Bullshit. Like, I think we played... Who wasn't? <laughs> um, I don't know, my mom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, he... Uh, I think we played more than one of his birthday parties, so... And, um, you know, he shares the studio where we recorded with, um, with Jonathan Krennic and... So, you know, he, um, he came in, you know, we would run into him there and, you know, yeah. he, he liked what we were doing and I didn't meet him or I met him maybe once at Iona or something, but right. I really met him while we were in the middle of recording. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so we talked, you know, he was curious about what we wanted to do with it and, you know, we were, um, trying to reach out to labels and trying to talk to different people about it and, you know, um, 
and then finally he was like, well, why don't I just help you guys out and we'll, you know, we'll put it out and we're about to relaunch the concierge website. Um, and, you know, he's got a couple of other great releases coming out um, or have come out recently. I yeah, like Lily and Frame and mm-hmm. um, I think the band he's playing with Hess is more. Yeah. Um, so he's just like, we'll just put it, Amazing. we'll just put it in there. It's no, yeah. um, you know, because it's a digital only release at the moment. So it was really, you know. Right in line with that philosophy. Exactly. When, when applicable. <laughs> well, um, record is out on Friday. Um, any shows coming up? Any tours? What's on What's on deck? We have a few special shows at different kinds of places up our sleeve that we will be announcing soon. Okay. Su- super secret. Well, I want to very thank- secret. <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. Where can people find you? Get the record. Instagram, the record, email, get the pledge. The, <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to put the pledge up on our website. Um, but we are on Instagram as lover is taken because it was taken. <laughs> um, uh, Facebook, we are on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, I think yeah, now, basically, all, Amazon, all the, all, the all, the, all the digital all stuff. The if you need to find me, um, I'll be on Calgary Street <laughs> at Friggin McGinnis I most a, of the time. I have a private Instagram <laughs> that you can search for if you want. Cool. Well, I want to uh, thank our guest, um, Pastor from New Zealand. If you are ever down that way, please make sure and go uh, eat there. It's one of the best meals that we've ever had. Um, thank you for tuning this in this week. We'll be back with another episode of Snacky Tunes. What are you going to take us out with? Um, I'm going to play a song that we are working on for the next record. Great. What's it called? Titled yet? Or? It's called Make It Last. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you all next week.
should give you half a chance. Talk is tired, you talk too fast, and I'm too wiped to make We talk about food, we talk about music, with musical dudes, finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.